Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kathy Diamond, and I am here speaking to you this afternoon on behalf of the Eleanor London Cote St. Luke Public Library. These past few months, thank goodness, we have been meeting in person for our monthly Monday afternoon book club sessions at the library. Since I will be away for three weeks this month, instead of canceling the book club, we decided to provide a recording, the way we did during COVID times, of me instead. But not to worry, we should be back again in person next month, which I do so much prefer because talking to myself on a recording is definitely not as interesting and as much fun for me as seeing you in person with the possibility of discussion and human contact and interaction. Anyways, it's better than nothing, I hope. The book that I've chosen to talk about with you, to you, this month is Bambi. And many of you, most of you, are probably familiar with the story of Bambi, if not the book, at least the Disney movie classic. And you might be thinking to yourself, this is sort of an odd choice, is it not? The story of Bambi, the book Bambi, for an adult book club. So let me explain. Why, how did I decide on this title? Last January, and how time flies, because I look and I realize that it was last January that I clipped out a review from the newspaper that I came across and it was a review of a book called The Original Bambi, The Story of Life in the Forest by Felix Salton, which I knew. Um, and I actually went, I went downstairs to my bookshelves in the basement and found a copy of Bambi, a little paperback edition that my mother, my late mother, had bought me back in the 1960s. The paperback costs 60 cents, it's on the cover, and it's the original English translation of Bambi. It, there was only one other translation. So this book that was just published, the new translation that was published, well, now it's a year, last January, was the only the second English translation from the original German. There was some kind of a copyright, uh, very strict copyright arrangement, and it wasn't permitted to translate the book since the original translation, which was dated 1928, the original English translation for the of the of the story of Bambi. Anyways, a new one had just appeared, and it generated quite a lot of interest among critics and reviewers. And I found a number of reviews and a number of very interesting articles, which told me all kinds of things about the book that I never knew. The book and its author and even the Walt Disney movie, because I really don't remember. I probably saw it when I was like, mm -hmm, saying about 60 years ago. And I, I imagine that a number of you listeners also had seen the movie quite a long time ago because it was a children's movie. And I don't think I had ever actually read the story or I don't remember having read the story. So when I saw these reviews and they brought out such interesting 
aspects of the story as well as of the author's life. And the author's life is as interesting, if not more interesting, than the story of Bambi. Um, and of course, the Disney film adds another little angle to the whole thing. So I said, you know what? I think this would be really interesting to talk about because it's really not just a children's book. I mean, it's billed as a children's book, but when you read it, you realize that there's certainly a lot more in it than would be um, understandable to young children. It wouldn't be young children anyways, but even younger people. So um, so I have in front of me, uh, you can't see this because this is only a voice recording, but I have a copy of the original little paperback version of Bambi, and I have a copy of the new, this newly translated and published version, which was translated and introduced by a professor a, prof a retired professor, professor emeritus at the University of Minnesota by the name of Jack Zippus. And, um, and it's very interesting. I compared the two versions. I read the original English translation and I read the more recent English translation. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I, first I'd like to start with an interesting fact, which I didn't know. In the article, in the original review that I took from the, I believe, the Gazette or the National Post, the reviewer began as follows. Adolf Hitler loved Disney cartoons, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs being a particular favorite. But despite his preoccupation with animal rights, a common symptom of sociopathic megalomania, there is no record of the Fuhrer displaying any enthusiasm for Bambi, the 1942 animation that Walt Disney had conceived as a vehicle for expressing his personal hatred of hunting. So why was Walt Disney so keen on the story of Bambi? Because apparently Walt Disney was very much an anti-hunter and he put that in, he saw Bambi when he read the story, uh, he saw Bambi as a tribute to the the animal rights movement. Okay, this was back in the, in the 30s he, when he bought the rights, but he was very much an anti-hunter in a society where it probably was not back in those days, not so common to to be anti-hunting, but Disney was. And so he made this film because he felt that the story of Bambi was a very good way of his, for him personally to express his hatred of hunting. And as this reviewer continues, he says, you can imagine Hitler sobbing over the death of Bambi's mother, can you not? Hitler, the 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 evil, the it's words. There are no words for the evil of this man. But in all likelihood, continues this reviewer, Hitler would never have watched the film because the author of its source, the the book upon which the film was based, was a Jew. And the novel was published in 19. One source says 22. One source says 23 in the original German with the title, Bambi, A Life in the Woods. That's the English title. And even though Felix Salton, the author, never explicitly defined what his story or his allegory represented, his tale of this fawn, 
This young deer learning life lessons along the road to adulthood or staghood is far less innocuous and much more political than the Disney film that it inspired. And it is certainly not just for children. In fact, one American reviewer of the first 1928 translation into English declared that Felix Salton's Bambi was as, quote, profoundly pertinent to the modern experience as the novel, the great Thomas Mann novel, The Magic Mountain. And remember, this reviewer was writing this in 1928. Thomas Mann wrote The Magic Mountain in 1924. So we're talking really about of a time period of about 100 years ago. So it's interesting because this reviewer is saying in 1928 about a profoundly being profoundly pertinent to the modern experience. And yet here we are reading Bambi a hundred years later. And I think it's very pertinent to our modern experience a hundred years after this original comment. So what happened? Why was there a new translation? And why did this whole thing, you know, why, how did I come to find this book. Apparently, there was, as I, as I mentioned, there was some problem with copyright, and the book only, the, the book Bambi, only entered the public domain last year, last year, 20, 2022, and until then, it, there was no, it was not permitted to retranslate the story. I don't know if this was the same in any other language, but I can only say this is what the situation was into English. So finally, this translator, Jack Zippus, this American scholar for whom this was a very important thing to do, he was finally able to bring his translation of the Bambi story to a publisher, and the book is published by Princeton University Press. And what he wants to do, what he says, Jack Zippus, in his, in his introduction to this new translation, what he wants to do is to retranslate it in order to clear away, as he feels, several decades worth of cutesy additions to the story, to better reveal, because he, he couldn't stand, the, and he, in this case, he's referring to the movie, because the Disney movie, this translator, Jack Zippus, couldn't, can't stand the Disney movie. He says it's, he calls it in his introduction, a pathetic, almost stupid film. And he wants to clear away all the misconceptions that Disney's film added to the Bambi story. And in order to, and in order to do that, he felt that he had to retranslate. And it's interesting when you compare the two translations, because I have both of them in front of me, I'll read you a couple of ex excerpts and you can maybe get an idea for yourself whether there is such a, to me, there was not such a great difference between the original and the, the more modern translation. The language, yes, it sounds a bit different because of course, a hundred years ago, or almost a hundred years ago, the English language did sound 
um, slightly different than it sounds today. And the way we might phrase a sentence is sounds different than the way the translator would have phrased it back in the 1920s. Um, but in any case, the point of this new translation, it seems, was, and according to the introduction in this new translation, that the author felt that the original English translation of the book did not do the, the German version um, full credit. Who is the author? Because as I wanted to talk to you about the author of the book, Felix Salton was born in Hungary in 1969 and his real name or his name at birth was Sigmund Saltzman. So Felix Salton was a name that he took for himself a little bit later on in his life. Saltzman's family moved to Vienna when he was a very new, a newborn, basically just a few weeks old. His father, it turns out, Saltzman's father, was a, he was an engineer by training. He had come from this long line, a long line of rabbis, a very rabbinic family. Saltzman's father had given up his religious, any religious practice. He wanted to become a modern man. He wanted to become a citizen of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, not to be fettered by the, uh, tied down by these old antiquated Jewish religious practices. So his family, Sultan, the author, grew up um, in a very assimilated home. Nevertheless, it was a Jewish home because you were still, if you were Jewish back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that was something that you were not allowed to forget, even if you were not a practicing Jew. But the father decided to move his family from Budapest to Vienna because Austria at the time was granting Jews full citizenship, something that they did not have in 1869 in Hungary. So the family moved to Vienna and also remember it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So the borders were fluid and his family. So, so Sultan basically grew up in Vienna as an Austrian, as a Viennese um, citizen. However, it was not all sweetness and light by any means. He wrote, Salton wrote later on, that he was a victim of anti-Semitic bullying from the very, from his very earliest days at school, not only by his fellow pupils, but by his teachers as well. So yes, Austria may have granted Jews full citizenship um, legally, but anti-Semitism was still extremely strong and virulent in Austria. Salton's father, as I mentioned, was an engineer by training. Unfortunately, he was not a very good businessman. He tried his hand at different business ventures um, and they all failed. And slowly his family went from a decent middle-class life to struggling and to harsh poverty, which required the children, Salton and his five siblings, as they reached a certain age, they had to leave school and go to work. So Sultan, at the age of 16, had to give up on his education and he went to work in an insurance company. But meanwhile, he had always had 
a great desire to write. So he wrote in his spare time and he tried to establish himself as a writer while he worked at this day job in the insurance company. And apparently it was around this time when he went to work, so in his late teens, that he changed his name from Siegfried Saltzman to Felix Salton in order, as he said, to repute, uh, sorry, in order to unmark himself, he said, as a Jew, right? So he took on a less Jewish sounding name. But the virulence of early 20th century anti-Semitism prompted him in later life to repudiate this change of his name and write once again about the problems facing Jews. He, th he conceived the idea for the story of Bambi in the wake of a propaganda campaign that sought to blame Jewish subversives for the German and Austrian defeat in the First World War. So it's the old story when any society, unfortunately, when any society, when there's a problem, when they lose a war, when there's a, a plague or any ill befalls a society and in Europe and in other countries, in the Arab countries as well, who does one blame? One blames the Jews if there is any kind of Jewish community in the country. So this is what happened. And of course, as we know that Germany, Austria, Austria, Hungary was, was very ashamed at having lost the First World War. And those years in between the end of the First World War and the beginning of the Second World War, the 20 years really con consisted of Germany trying to rearm itself, which it did. And in order to fight again and continue what they considered to be a shameful defeat at the hands of the Allies, which they were not going to leave alone. But in the meanwhile, it was the Jews' fault. So anti-Semitism was very strong and very virulent as Salton was a young man in um, growing up there in Vienna. And that's what gave him the idea to write the story of Bambi. Two years after Bambi was published, interestingly, Salton wrote a travel book, which was also a Zionist piece called New People on Ancient Soil, A Tour to Palestine. He went to see Palestine. He was inspired by Theodore Herzl, a fellow Viennese journalist at the time. And um, so he, he grappled. He was living with this in this very anti-Semitic society, he was trying to fit in. He was trying to become a writer and he tried to join. He joined this group of young Viennese writers that used to meet in cafes and, and he wanted very much to become part of that 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 um, cultural cafe society, which didn't really quite work so well for him, because of all those those aspiring writers and writers, he was the only one it seemed who actually had to work for a living. The others of of his of his friends and his acquaintances all were independently wealthy, came from aristocratic families and didn't have to worry about feeding, you know, about putting bread on the table and taking care of a family. Felix Salton was a very interesting 
person, it seems. Very interesting personally and, of course, and interesting as a writer as well. He was, he was an unlikely figure to write this story of Bambi, likely on one hand because he suffered persecution as a Jew and people, critics have read into the story of Bambi that the deer who are being persecuted by hunters are representative of Jews being persecuted in anti-Semitic societies. But the kind of one of the many ironies in Salton's life is that he was an ardent hunter. He, Salton, was a hunter who, by his own estimate, shot and killed more than 200 deer. Now, how does that reconcile with the story of Bambi? That's one sort of seeming inconsistency or incongruity. He was also an unlikely figure to write a parable about Jewish persecution, even though he did, he was persecuted and he was, um, he was a victim of anti-Semitism. However, Remember, he lived in Vienna and he wrote the book in the 1920s, 1922, 1923. And by 1933, when the Hitler came to power, there were book burnings of books by Jewish writers and books on Jewish topics. And Bambi was burnt. And yet Salton promoted a policy of appeasement toward Nazi Germany back in the 20s. And yet another interesting fact about this, about the author of the story is that he wrote a piece of child pornography, one of the most infamous works of child pornography in the, 20, in the early 20th century. He wrote it anonymously, but it seems universally um, to be recognized that it was Felix Salton who was the author of this piece of child pornography. It's the story, the book is, is the story of, of a young girl who becomes a prostitute in Vienna, and it's told from her point of view, but she's a child when she becomes a prostitute. So he wrote this, and it became a very famous piece of work. Um, as I said, he wrote it anonymously, but it seems like pretty well everybody knew that he was the author of this book. So how do you put together this Jewish writer who changed his name, tried to hide his Jewishness in the beginning of his career, uh, wrote a piece of pornography, was an avid hunter, and wrote many books. Bambi was, was only one of a number of books that he wrote with animals as the main characters. He seemed to like to do it. This was part of his style to anthropomorphize his stories, which just fancy way of saying that he would tell a story, but the characters would be animals who, who were able to think and able to speak as humans. There's a biography of Felix Salton that nicely sums up or gives us, sheds light on these contradictions in this man. This Sigmund Salzman, born in Hungary in 1869, who came from generations of rabbis, whose father had shaken off his religious roots already in favor of a broad-minded humanism, um, and this is the family into which Felix Salton was born. And he was apparently Salton in his youth, promiscuous, promiscuous literally, and also literarily, meaning that he he had many affairs with, with 
all kinds of women openly and, and, and you know, with, with from everybody, it seems from chambermaids to opera singers to actresses to prominent social activists um, to with women, other members of this young Vienna group of writers. Um, eventually, though, I must say, it seems that he married, he settled down. But all his life, when, and when I say that he was promiscuous literarily, uh, that's what that's what it said in this in this biography. That he also would write anything that anybody paid him to write, which was maybe the reason that he wrote that book of pornography because somebody paid him to write it. I don't know, um, but he wrote. So not only did he write books, he wrote theater reviews, art criticism, book reviews, essays, plays, poems, novels, um, even a book-length advertisement for a carpet company disguised as a piece of reportage. He wrote travel guides, librettos, forewords for books, afterwards for books, film scripts, and his detractors regarded this as, you know, he's not a real writer because he just writes anything and he'll write anything that anybody pays him for, except why did he do that? Because he needed to earn a living and he needed to feed his family. Yet apparently he was also very reckless with money. He tried so hard to seem like an insider to this group of, of aristocrats and of authors whose members included very famous Austrian writers and philosophers, and he really wanted to become part of them. He tried to dress like them. He tried to live in the manner of these wealthier of his friends. Unfortunately, he didn't have the means, so with the result that he was constantly borrowing and accruing debts sort of in the in the way that his father had been that his father had done. His personal judgment and his critical judgment also did not seem to be very good. He could be he was known for his impulsivity. He borrowed um he borrowed, for example, apparently a lot of money in order to produce a modernist cabaret, the kind that was all the rage in Berlin in the 1930s, only to see it become a critical and financial catastrophe. So this is a little bit of background of the author of the story. If you haven't seen the Disney version of Bambi since you were eight years old, let me give you just a quick refresher. The title character, Bambi, which apparently the name comes from the Italian word bambini, or for bambini as a child, Bambi was born one spring to an unnamed mother and a distant but magnificently antlered father. This we see in the Disney movie. He befriends an enthusiastic young rabbit, who Disney calls Thumper, remember? A sweet-tempered skunk, who Disney called Flower, and a female fawn named Faline. Faline appears in the book as well. After the death of his mother the following spring, Bambi and Faline fall in love but their relationship is tested by a rival deer, a pack of hunting dogs, and finally by the forest fire. And I think any of you who've seen the film will remember, you'll remember Bambi's mother when Bambi's mother gets killed. And you'll remember the scene of the forest fire when this forest fire tears through the forest, the woods, and all the animals are fleeing for their lives. Having triumphed over all three, Bambi, 
together with Feline, they have a pair of fawns, and as the film concludes, the hero, our Bambi, like his father before him, is watching over his family from a faraway crag on a mountain. That was the film version. Apparently, Bambi, the film, was not particularly successful when it was first released. There wasn't very good audience turnout. 1942, it was the middle of the Second World War. But also, the expectations for a Disney film had been set by Mickey Mouse and Magic. And in Bambi, there were, you know, unlike earlier Disney productions, there was no Magic and there was no Mickey. In time, however, Bambi, which was Walt Disney's favorite among his films, became one of the most popular movies in the history of the industry. In the four decades following its release, again, it came out in 1942, it earned $47 million, more than 10 times what Casablanca earned. And Casablanca, that movie came out in the same year. Um, Unsurprisingly, Bambi was not popular among hunters, one of them who sent a telegram to Walt Disney on the eve of the film's release to inform him that he got it wrong. It's not legal to shoot deer in the spring. Anyhow, um, that was one of the just little bits about the film. But perhaps one of the loudest, let's say most outspoken, uh, if not the smallest group of the critics, consists of those fans of the author, of Felix Salton, who recognized how drastically Walt Disney distorted the original source material of Bambi, which was Felix Salton's novel. And although the animals in the novel do converse, and in some case, they become friends with each other across the species, the overall relations of the animals in the Bambi story are far from benign, the way they're presented in the Disney film. And I'm just bringing the film into this because I think we all saw the film, or at least most of us of a certain age have seen the film, whereas I don't know how many of us had read the book. So in the book, in just, in the, in, in just two pages in the book, a fox tears apart a beloved pheasant a ferret fatally wounds a squirrel, and a flock of crows attacks the young son of friend Hare, H-A-R-E, the rabbit, who is a gentle, anxious figure who becomes Thumper in the movie, leaving this, this little Hare to die in great pain. Later, Bambi himself nearly battles, batters to death a rival who is begging for mercy, while Feline, the female, the doe, looks on, and Bambi's love interest, looks on laughing. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, this is horrible when you read the book. Not horrible, but this is what, what he's writing about. This is not a nice child story. But far from being gratuitous, I must say to you, these scenes are, the way the author tells them, the whole point of the novel. Salton insisted that he wrote Bambi to educate naive readers about nature as it really is, a place where life is always contingent on death, where starvation, competition, and predation are the norm. This is Salton. 
And that motive that he had for writing Bambi did not make him go easy on human beings. On the contrary, Salton's depiction of our impact on nature is considerably more specific and violent than the one in the film, not to mention sadder. And this, I found, was a very sad book. Consider the moment when Bambi, who is fleeing the hunting party that kills his mother and countless other creatures, comes across the wife of friend Hare. And in a scene that reads something like out of, I don't know if anybody remembers when we read the novel by Pat Barker, a British writer called Regeneration. Pat Barker wrote novels about the First World War and the scenes in those novels were graphic and awful and sad. And in this, in this scene, when this little, this hair it is the wife of friend Hare is dying and she and this is in the book in Bambi she asks Bambi can you help me a little and Bambi looked at her and shuddered her hind leg dangled lifelessly in the snow dyeing it red and melting it with warm oozing blood can you help me a little she repeated she spoke as if she were well and whole almost as if she were happy I don't know what can have happened to me, she went on. There's really no sense to it, but I just can't seem to walk. In the middle of her words, she rolled over on her side and died. And that's a scene from the book. What are the purposes? What are, why did Salton write scenes like this in this story? And again, I'm reminding you, Bambi is supposedly a children's book. Salton said that despite his own affinity for hunting, he was trying to dissuade others from killing animals except when it was necessary for the health of a species or an ecosystem. Which, does that sound a bit hypocritical? Maybe less than it seems because Salton despised poachers um, and, and, and he wrote about that. But authors do not usually or do not often get necessarily the last word on the meaning of their work. And so people believed, a lot of people believed that Bambi was really no more a story about animals than was Animal Farm, you know, that George Orwell's classic Animal Farm. Sultan continued to insist that Bambi was a story about animals. It was an anti-hunting story. It was meant to dissuade people from being cruel to animals. But instead, the reviewers and the critics and the readers saw in Bambi what the Nazis did, a reflection of the anti-Semitism that was on the rise all across Europe when Felix Salton wrote it. And again, to put it into context, Bambi was published in German in 1922. So it was before the, the beginning of the Second World War, and yet there was enough anti-Semitism and there was the rise of the National Socialist Party that Salton saw. The figures, the characters, the different animals in the story are, are, are drawn with sympathy and yet often with a 
a coldness, a cold-heartedness, and a, a distancing by the author. So you can see why Walt Disney left out a number of scenes in the book. He left out, for example, a scene in the book where a, a dog kills a fox. And that scene, if you've, if you've read the book, maybe some of you have read it, or if you are going to read it, it unfolds at a horribly leisurely pace. He describes how this fox is shattered and bleeding. I mean, when I'm telling you this story, it seems almost worse in the retelling than when I was actually reading it. And to say that none of these scenes were not in the Disney film. So it's easy to see why people interpreted Bambi as a covert account of the crisis facing European Jews in the 1920s, a story about innocent creatures who were forced to remain constantly vigilant against danger from would-be betrayers within and proto-brown shirts, fascists, national socialists without. Some of Salton's biography does support that understanding, particularly with the, the fact, knowing the fact that he knew a thing or two about assimilation. In fact, Salton wrote, I was not a Jew when I was a boy. He was raised in this household that prided, prized European liberalism that had, as I said, discarded its rabbinic roots and roots even two generations before. They pride them, prided themselves on being worldly and European and liberal and not you know, parochial Jews. He was educated. Sultan was educated in part by very pious Catholic teachers. He went to these Catholic schools. Um, and he only began to identify as Jewish in his late 20s, which and that was the time when he grew close to Theodor Herzl, a fellow Hungarian, Austro-Hungarian writer and the father of the Zionist movement. And so he and he claimed then that when he had read Herzl's pamphlet, The Jewish State, that made him willing to love my Jewishness. But the love, that love was to say the least complicated. Because on one hand, Salton began writing a weekly column for Herzl's Jewish newspaper, in which he grew more and more critical of the assimilationist impulse that had shaped his own childhood. On the other hand, he wrote for Herzl's newspaper anonymously, and he wouldn't set foot in the newspaper's offices. So he did it, but he wasn't willing to go the full way to do this. In later years, his increasing willingness to embrace his Judaism corresponded, not coincidentally, with the increased anti-Semitism in Vienna, which made it impossible for Jews to forget or deny their religious background. So whatever Bambi may be, however you want to interpret it, an anti-hunter tale, a tale of how an and the animal world and the whole ecosystem of a forest is best to, to, is to best flourish. It is really at heart a coming of age story. Bambi is born at the beginning of the book and when the story ends, he is a mature adult and he is able to look back on, well, we, the readers, able to look back through the character on his life. Um, 
It is also a story not only of a coming of age, but it's also a novel of maturation, a novel of education and training. And if you read the book, you will remember, or even in the, 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 the Disney film, the agent of that education for Bambi is a character known as the Old Prince, who is the oldest surviving stag in the forest. And the lessons that he teaches the younger deer are not subtle at all. When he first encounters Bambi, Bambi is still a young fawn. And he's dismayed, Bambi, if you remember, because his mother had lately grown distant. She's been pushing him away when he tries to nurse, walking off without even caring whether he is following and he feels rebuffed, and he stands in the middle of the forest bleating for her pathetically. When the old prince appears and scolds him, the old prince says to him, your mother has no time for you now. Can't you just stay by yourself? Shame on you. And that really, in those two sentences, can't you stay by yourself, shame on you, is the ultimate message of Bambi, of Felix Salton's Bambi. Not the Disney, but the, the book. Anything short of extreme self-reliance seems to be shameful. Independence is what one has to do in order to survive. To depend, to be dependent on others is unseemly. It's restrictive and it's dangerous. Of all his teachings, Sultan writes in Bambi, this had been the most important. You must live alone. If you wanted to preserve yourself, <coughs> if you understood existence, if you wanted to attain wisdom, you had to live alone. And this is what Bambi is about. The curious thing about this insistence on solitude in the book, though, is that nothing makes solitude seem appealing. And Bambi's life, the, tr the chief trajectory, one could say, of Bambi's life is not from innocence to wisdom. It is from contentment and companionship, because when he is young, he cavorts with Gobo, his cousin, and with Feline, the other fawn with whom he is in love, in, in the book as well as in the movie, with the magpies, with friend hair, with the screech owls and the squirrels. From that contentment and companionship, by the end of the story, he is with isolation and bare bones survival. That's the trajectory of his life in the book. And it seems strange. And yet, and it doesn't seem quite to make sense. I don't know how you felt when those of you who read it when you finished the book, but I finished the book and I thought, oh, this is very, very sad. This is very strange. Bambi at the beginning has these relationships with the other animals. And yes, the animals, I mean, Salton portrays them as 
as animals fighting each other and and killing each other even and these scenes as i described to you these gory scenes they are there in the book but yet at the beginning there is a sense of well the mother his mother cares for cares for him when he's younger and he has their their friends and they're not all negative relations in the story but by the end it's Bambi all by himself and whereas in the movie in the Disney film he and Feline are together and they have a family that's not the ending of the book it's it's very strange and one oh, one more point that i forgot to mention i didn't mention is the is the idea of man the human and the human is always off is is off stage in on most of the story he is referred to by the animals as he with a capital h which is kind of interesting because when you read books usually with he with a capital h it refers to as it usually when it the, the author is referring to the deity or to god by that term but in this case the animals are referring to man with the capital h man is this creature that the animals talk about those who have seen him and those who have not seen him the ones who have seen him described to their to their their comrades in the woods that he is a creature with a, he stands up on two legs he has two arms but he really has a third arm and that third arm is his gun and it is the gun that he carries that gives him his is his source of power so man is as i said mostly there's only one small scene in the book where where man comes in but he is off stage but he is the one to be feared he is the source of the destruction not all of the destruction because sultan is realistic and he has the animals killing each other when they need when after a very hard winter they are starving and they need food and they will eat each other or they will do whatever it takes to survive which is realistic he does describe that very realistically um but it is man who is portrayed man the hunter who is portrayed as the real evil it's a strange strange story and what are we supposed to make of this kind of to me seemingly slightly confused many-minded story the translator of this new edition of Jack Zippus in his introduction he blames some of the confusion on the first translator a man by the name of Winifred Chambers who translated the book then apparently this is an interesting bit just a bit of information went on the translator of the 1920 the 1928 edition with sorry Whitaker Chambers went on to become a Soviet spy how's that for a little more interest in in Bambi in any case Zippus the translator of the new edition says that the Chambers translation was not very good he contends that Chambers mistranslated Salton and in doing so it wasn't just that he chose the word you know one word over another word just one adjective for another adjective but he claims that these that the original English translation flattened both the political and metaphysical one could say dimensions of the book which in turn paved the way for Disney to turn it into a children's story. That's what Jack Zippus is so upset about. That's what he writes about in the introduction to this new translation. But 
I don't know, because if you read the book, if you read the two translations side by side, I mean, maybe because I don't understand the original German and I can't, I can't um, attest to the, to the differences in nuance of the language, but to me, it didn't really seem to make all that much difference. Let me give you a short example. The opening chapter of the book uh, in the old translation is, reads like this. He came into the world, he being Bambi, he came into the world in the middle of the thicket, in one of those little hidden forest glades, which seem to be entirely open, but are really screened in on all sides. There was very little room in it, scarcely enough for him and his mother. And how does the new translation reads? He was born in the middle of the thicket. Okay, so instead of he came into the world in the middle of the thicket, he was born in the middle of a thicket, one of those small hidden places in the forest that appear to be open yet are shielded on all sides. The space was so small that there was barely enough room for him and his mother. So barely, scarcely um, hidden forest glade instead of small hidden places. These are examples of the differences in the translation. The original translation, which was written, you know, almost 100 years ago, reads in an English that's from that time. And the modern translation, the 2022 translation, reads in a more modern fashion. How this really affects the reading of the book and how that could pave the way for Disney to turn it into a children's story, I'm not really sure. Zippus is knowledgeable about his subject matter, that is for sure. He and he has credentials. He's translated many German um, fairy tales and children's stories. He was a professor of German literature for many, many years. Uh, but it doesn't seem that he's a particularly gifted writer, at least that's what, what, when I read the book. Um, and so I'm not quite sure if there was really such a need for this new translation. However, it's brought a lot of interest and discussion to the book of Bambi. I would not have picked it and picked it up and read it if I hadn't found these found this piece in the paper last January, which piqued my interest uh, because I never thought of Bambi as anything other than a children's story because I guess I had the Disney movie stuck in my head more than the original Bambi if I ever read it, which I really don't remember. Um, but really, honestly, in both versions, the Bambi that emerges is a complex work, part nature writing, part allegory, and part autobiography. What makes it such a surprising source for a beloved children's classic is ultimately not its violence, nor its sadness, but it's, how to say it, it's bleak. And bleak is different than sad. Sad is an emotion. You'd be sad, you'd be happy. But bleakness, and that's how the book leaves the reader with a feeling of bleakness. And just to, to give you an example of the end of the story, again, remember, this isn't the Disney movie where it's happily ever after, the end of the book, and I'm going to read you from the original translation, which I happen to prefer, the last page of the book, Bambi is grown up. He is now one of the senior 
members of the of the deers of the forest. He is like the prince was to him when he was a little fawn at the beginning of the book, the prince who was the one who was going to advise him on how to be. Now, at the end of the book, Bambi is an adult, a beautiful, you know, magnificent, antlered adult stag. And he stands in a little clearing in a narrow glade in the heart of the, thi- of, of the thicket. So remember the opening scene of the book, Bambi is born in a thicket. And here in the last scene of the book, he's standing at the edge of the thicket. And he's listening to these insects buzzing. And the insects are buzzing and talking to each other. And again, this is, you know, Bambi is, the animals are talking. So the, the insects are, and he calls these insects midges. The midges are talking to each other. Did you see him? The midges ask each other. Who? That old May beetle, some of the other midges hummed. All of his offspring are dead. Only one is still alive. Only one. How long will he live? A number of midges asked. The others answered, we don't know. Some of his offspring live a long time. They live forever almost. They see the sun 30 or 40 times. We don't know how many exactly. So thinking 30 or 40 times, that means 30 or 40 days. This is a very long time in the life of a midge, a tiny little insect. Our lives are long enough and we see the daylight only once or twice, meaning they live for a day or two. How long has the old beetle been living? Some of the very small midges asked. He has outlived his whole family. He's as old as the hills, as old as the hills. He's seen more and been through more in this world than we can ever imagine. And Bambi had been listening to this conversation. He walked on, hmm, he thought, midge buzzings. A delicate, frightened call then came to his ears. He listened and went closer, perfectly softly, keeping among the thickest bushes and moving noiselessly as he had long known how to do. The call came again, more urgent, more plaintively. Fawn's voices were wailing, Mother, Mother. Bambi glided through the bushes and followed the calls. Two fawns were standing side by side in their little red coats, a brother and sister, forsaken and despondent. Mother, mother, they called. Before they knew what had happened, Bambi was standing in front of them. They stared at him speechlessly. Your mother has no time for you now, said Bambi severely. He looked into the little brother's eyes. Can't you stay by yourself, he asked. The little brother and sister were silent. Bambi turned and gliding into the bushes, disappeared before they had come to their senses. He walked along. The little fellow pleases me, he thought. Perhaps I'll meet him again when he's larger. He walked along. The little girl is nice too, he thought. Faline looked like that when she was a fawn. He went on and vanished in the forest. That's how the book ends. So, as I say, a different ending from the movie where Bambi and Feline get together. In this story, Feline and Bambi do not get together. And Bambi is an adult and Bambi is all alone. And it seems that that's the lesson in life that he was meant to learn.
And when he's talking to these fawns, he's telling them the same thing that the old stag, the prince, had told him at the beginning of the book. And so the book concludes. So one wonders, what was the point of all of this? Is it really an anti-hunting story? Is it a story about the dangers of the forest? Is it a story, is it an allegory of the persecution of Jews? Different reviewers and different critics have different opinions. But it seems to be that one of the messages of the book, one of the strong messages is don't put your fate, your sorry, your faith in others. Be careful. And Salton, the the author of Bambi, seems to have had the dubious satisfaction of being proven right. How? Why do I say this? First, when, after acquiring the film rights for a pittance, Disney, apparently Disney paid $1,000 for the rights to Bambi, for the movie rights. So that's what Felix Salton got out of the sale. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Disney made a mint from the movie. And again, even more, even more, let's say, not satisfaction, but being proven right, when Hitler annexed Austria, Sultan was forced to flee in his older age to flee his beloved Vienna for exile in Switzerland, where he died in 1945. So after all of that, what a life, you say to yourself, what a life, you know, not only the life of Bambi, the the deer and the story of the forest, but the life of Felix Salton, born Siegfried Salzman, the Jewish writer who tried so hard not to be Jewish, then went back to being Jewish, that seemed very confused about what he was. And in the end, he had to flee Austria. He was lucky that his daughter lived in, in Switzerland and his daughter was able to get her parents, her, her elderly parents' papers, and they were able to go and live in Switzerland. Not, however, it, it, this is how nice the Swiss were, the Swiss let the Felix Sultan and his wife come in under, but under the condition that, Sal, that Sultan was only to write he was not allowed to write anything political. He was not allowed to write anything, any piece of journalism. He could write his poems. He could write little plays. He could write little stories. But that was all. That was the condition that the Sultans were allowed to go to Switzerland. In any case, their lives were saved. They didn't die at the hands of the Germans in, in the Holocaust. He died in 1945, several months after Adolf Hitler had committed suicide. And that's the story of Bambi. That's the story of Felix Salton. And um, I hope that you are able to get the chance to read, whether it's the original translation or the new translation, um, read the story of Bambi, because as I'm thinking, most of you had seen the movie many years ago, and this provides a whole new insight into the story. Makes for very fascinating reading, makes for fascinating talking about. Um, I'm sorry that I can't have a discussion with you because it's just me talking on this recording, but perhaps when we meet again in February, if any of those, any of you have any questions, if any of you will have had the chance to read Bambi at that time, we can talk about it then. So thank you very much for listening to me today and wishing you a very good month and looking forward to seeing you in person when we meet again in February.